guest today is none other than Tom Cassidy. And Tom's going to talk to me a little bit about how to recalibrate your sights as you go forward throughout the year. It's one of those conversations we have at this time every year. You, you look at New Year's resolutions. You gotta then ask yourself, well, if this was important, should I not be doing this throughout the year? So that's what I want to talk to Tom about is, is how do we step back, recalibrate, but then I also want to talk to you, Tom, a little bit about, well, should this be just a January activity? Should we not be doing this throughout the year? morning Paul I'm I'm excited for this one and uh, it's because uh, this will be a, a, a pretty critical chapter in in the book that I'm trying to put together as well which is going to be called end with the start in mind uh, a bit of a play on Stephen Covey's kind of start with the end in mind mm-hmm. and the reason for that is uh, you know whenever we look to make a change we're not in the perfect position and when you think about end with the start in mind, I'm starting the beginning of the year for many people. It's January, fresh fiscal year, new quotas, and I want to end well. But I don't have a blank sheet of paper. Uh, I've probably carried over a ton of deals from Q4, which didn't close. Should they even be there in the first place? I may have been given a whole new book of business. So I inherited a bunch of deals from somebody else. And there's probably kind of, you know, these grace periods where they get to close it for a month. And if they do, they get the money. And then I start to get the money and all of this handover and stuff that goes on. Um, But what you do have as a salesperson at the beginning of the year is normally a bit of an amnesty. Management's okay with you, you know, ripping through your pipeline. Uh, I would advocate, I know you do, is we should be doing this all throughout the year. But let's at least, you know, if we're going to do it once a year, let's get fit, you know, the January uh, program. And so what I'd love to talk about is one is a, a state of mind, thinking about that, and also some tactics. What can we do to think about? Uh, one is cleaning up our pipeline. Uh, and two is to get our head straight for how do we get to the number at the end of the year? Okay. Do you want to start with the inner game then? Yeah, what the uh, the cleaning out the pipeline. <laughs> so, um, look, uh, you know some some of the things that you and I have spoken about. And one of my one of my favourites, whenever I get uh, you know a deal that's gone across a quarter, is is to detach myself from the outcome, and to say my say to myself, how much of this stuff can I get rid of? Now. Normally, when people are qualifying deals, they're thinking about how can I get it in? The attitude we need to have for the next two or three weeks is how can I get it out? So one of my favorites has always been, look, we just we were super busy coming through the end of financial year. Everybody's snowed under. Uh, it looks like it's going to carry on during you know January and February, which you know we're super happy about. Um, as it pertains to me and, and the kind of quality of the service that I'd, I'd like to provide to you, I can only provide that level of service to a limited number of opportunities at any one point in time. And so what I'm doing is just calling around a few companies that, you know, you were going to do something at the tail end of last year. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, we can push this out to being a spring project, for example, uh, and what you would feel about that. Mm. Now, one of two things happens. Uh, they may potentially 
get very excited, uh, pretty animated, and and desperately tell you why this cannot be pushed out till spring, and you know flow the questions. Oh, why is that? What's driving this date? What's different to now versus you know the tail end of last year? Mm. You might say, well, now we've got budget. We didn't have budget at the end of last year. We've got budget, and and the company's expecting us to spend it. And we want to get up and running. Yeah. Or they might say to you, yeah, yeah, why not? Let, let's just push it out to and maybe even summer. And if somebody's saying that to you, and we all know the answer, this is where we've got to be honest with us. So if they can push it out to spring or summer, when you get to the spring or summer, they'll be able to push it out to the autumn and winter. It's just not on their list of priorities. Yeah. So why not just agree to part company's friends? Mm. And if you're really good, agree the terms upon which you're both willing to get back into this again. Now, obvious question on this one for you, Tom. Uh, by the way, I, I like to think of this as the Murphy's Law of Sales, that if anything can move and slip, it will slip. Mm. Um, should this not have been a part of their closed plan, their mutual action plan in Q4 in the first place, where they would have done uh, ideally tested this at the end of the previous fiscal year, where they would have said, what if this were to slip into next year? Is there any way we can push it out? Yeah, uh, and this is the point. This is kind of a conversation we should be having regularly. You know, as you get towards the end of every month and you think about what you're closing for the next month, you know, I have, uh, I've always encouraged, even strategic reps should kind of have a 30, 90, 120 day window that they're thinking about. And, and if they feel like they're losing momentum, is try and push deals out. If you push deals out, you're not selling, but you are forcing the prospect to buy if they're ready. Mm. Yeah, it's just, I remember in one of our, we talked about the catapult, pulling the catapult mm. back to let it go. Mm. Well, as you pull the cat and you tell them, look, actually, is there any way we can push this out? They will bring it forward if they want to. Mm. Or they'll let you push it out. Yeah. I'm wondering here if there's a, an element we need to talk about about the conversation with one's manager because i can imagine a scenario where now you have a rep listening to this going that's a great idea i should gently push this out and see how how the prospect pushes back against me and if they don't push back against me it was always going to slip but how do i have that conversation with a manager if i say to my manager i i have pushed this out with the prospect they're going to go you did what that's not what we pay you for. So, yeah. Well, there's, there's pushing out, there's marking it as lost. Uh, mm. So I'm not advocating that we just keep bouncing opportunities. Mm. If they're willing to push it out, uh, you should be willing to say no, uh, mm. and to and you know and to uh, and go and spend some time on somebody who's willing to buy in a time frame that's mutually accessible or mutually acceptable. Mm. Uh, we will have deals in our pipeline that are political hot potatoes as reps. Ones where if you market as lost, you know you're gonna end up having a lot of conversations or you try and do something with it because you gave it a good story some other time. So I'm not, this isn't a perfect science and we are in reality here, mm. but there will be other deal. For example, it's the ones that you've inherited, mm. super easy to mark those as lost. Uh, because, oh yeah, they, they totally didn't work on it. Yeah. And, uh, story, yeah. You see salespeople act like sales leaders on deals they inherit regularly. Yeah. 
We also we do it on inbound leads all the time. Oh yeah, they weren't ready to buy. Get rid of it. Yeah. Could you have made them buy? Of course you could. Right. Yeah. So these are the ones to get. You know, there's a hierarchy of things to clear out, and um, and at least even if you could be confident that you've cleaned up 20, 30, 40, 60% of your pipeline, you're still in a better position to then think properly about how do I get to my number? What you can't afford to do is to have a vanity pipeline that has you behave contrary to the outcome you're looking for, which is President's Club, 100%, so on and so forth. Right. There's something interesting here that I'm hearing coming through. One is it's not about a clean out. It's about creating space. One thing. It's also what I'm hearing is it's not a it's about really making sure that your pipeline isn't managing you, that you're not reactive to a pipeline that's full of crud, but mm. that you're in control so that you can manage it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Manny, our CEO, once once said, said on a podcast recently, he said, you know, this you ask anybody how much pipeline they want. They always say, oh, well, four times pipeline. To What they're basically saying is, is I'm that inefficient. I can only close 25% of what I'm working on. And uh, I'm within a reporting period. I mean, it's, it's weird. So we run here at 1.3 times. That's the coverage I need going into a quarter. And um, now, obviously, we have more than that because we overachieve on our number. But I only need 1.3 to get to quota or to get to budget. And um, uh, if you're uh, you know, just we'll kind of come on to this as you kind of break down. How do I take my number from an annual number down to daily activities and be marvelously focused on it? So I know here uh, in one of my segments, uh, the average time to close is 41 days and there are 62 activities that are involved in it and i know how many activities by stage and i also know that you know if we're out of pattern our win rate will be off as well it's granular detail now if we just assume every activity takes half an hour well there's only 200 working days in the year do i want to be doing activities on things that are going to close or do i just want to be busy it's you know this is this this comes back to one of those core Sandler concepts, which is my time is unbelievably valuable and I simply won't give it away. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and whether you value your free time, you know, if you're okay working 16 hours a day, go for your life. Um, but you know, uh, you know, part of being a professional salesperson uh, and a good one is actually valuing your time. Okay. So we're saying, Priority number one, manage the pipeline. And when I say manage it, it's not fill it. It's actually counterintuitively, it's clean it up. Yeah. If, if you want to get to your number, the worst thing you can do is have a load of stuff in there mm. that's taking up your time uh, and stopping you. The opportunity cost is I don't have time to work on another opportunity that might get to my number. So I would rather have an uncomfortable five or six weeks where I have maybe I only have like 0.8 coverage. I don't even have enough deals. But mm. if I'm not wasting my time on the ones that were never going to close anyway, at least I can be picking up the phone, prospecting, working my existing accounts. And I have an attitude and a roadmap to get to where I need to be.
Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, okay, and it, it, it is a little bit counterintuitive and it has to be managed, but, and again, it's one of those things that you said, we should be doing all of the time, but if you haven't been, at least now, let's start. Yeah, now, at the beginning, of it, so January is the beginning of your fiscal, start doing it, you know, just before the end of the year or early part of the year. If April is the beginning of it, then start doing it in March or at least in April. If February is, whenever it is, this is your amnesty time. You get more leeway to do it now than you do at any other time in the year. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of that angle about the amnesty. It is true. Very good. Yeah. Okay, so so that's that's number one. What would you do next? Yeah, so having, having been honest with myself and kind of got a reality perspective, I then can try and think, right, okay, so how am I going to get to my number? And uh, I'd love some of your insights on this one as well. But, you know, I, what did I used to do when I got my increased quota? Because <laughs> it never went down. <laughs> my increased quota at the beginning of every year. So let's say just for argument, so I've got a million dollar quota that I need to get to. What is the mass that I went through very quickly to work out? OK, how can I get to how can I blow through that number for a start? Mm. Uh, and what do I need to do to get there? Mm. And um, I, um, you know, and this is end with the start in mind. So I, I've kind of, I have a business, I have a win rate. I actually have some numbers that I can look to already, which is, you know, I know kind of how many deals I can run at any one point in time. I know how, what is the average number of transactions I've been doing a month or a quarter previously. I know what my average deal size is. Uh, or my average land and what uh, and what those accounts become within the year. There's lots of analysis I can do as a salesperson that helps to inform the next set of questions I need to ask, mm. which is, you know, frankly, well, okay, have I been given a number by quarter? So it breaks down to quarter of a million every quarter that breaks down to uh, you know, 88,000, whatever it is, you know, a month that I need to be able to do. Do, do I want to focus myself on a month? We're even down to a week if I'm in a transactional business. So think about how I break that number up. Yeah. And then I say, well, yeah, well, actually, my average deal size is sixty thousand uh, dollars, and you know, last year uh, I was averaging three deals a quarter. Well, now you have a problem. That's one eighty on a two fifty number. Mm. So, so I need to start thinking about. So, what do I need to do? Well, I either need to do more deals, or I need to supersize. Or and you know how was I getting those deals before? Was it all down to me? So then you start to think, well, okay, who can work for me? So where else can I go and get the money from, or where can I distribute the activities for? So when I was at uh, Oracle, I used to one is first thing I did is I took my number, I times it by five. So if I had a, it was about a three million dollar target. So I used to say, right, how can I get to fifteen million? What would I do if my number was 15 million? Now, um, and this is where you have to kind of say to yourself, Look, I, I, you, I, most salespeople here are going to be, oh, there's no way I can do five. The, the top sales rep globally didn't do five times their number last year. No, but I guarantee they planned to do five times their number and they got to three and a half times or four times. Yeah, they had a frame of mind that said, right, if I had to do five times my number, what would I do? 
And then you start to think about, well, okay, well, I need marketing to deliver me more qualified leads. Is there anything I could do to influence that? Well, maybe I could point marketing at my top accounts rather than just all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it might be that, uh, right, I need to I need to sell more to my install base. So who touches my install base? And can I uh, work with them to try and get them to identify leads and maybe even do a bit of training with them? So this is what good looks like. Um what partners and channels and alliances, you know, are there other teams that can sell into my accounts and can work with them? So you start to lobby the wider audience of people who can influence my base. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would also do things like I'm a huge fan of dividing down a big problem. Mm. Let's say I get 200 accounts in my territory. Well, not all 200 of them are going to buy. Mm. So super quickly... I want to get down to a 10, 10, and 10. So 10%, 10%, 10%. So 200 accounts, 10% of them, without any analysis, I know they're, they're hot. They're right in my ICP. I know other companies like them have bought from us. I may have sold to them before. We're highly connected or whatever. Super easy to get to those. Then there's another 10% that's worth some investigation. Then there's another 10% that I'm going to give to other people to find out from me. So I'm going to give those to marketing. I'm going to give those to my lead gen team. I'm going to give those to alliances. If I can work with 60 of those accounts in the year proactively, I might actually just get some reactive stuff Ooh. coming from the other 140. So it's divide down the problem. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is cookbook, but what you're doing with it is you're using your cookbook to stretch and say, what activities do I need to do differently? What do I need to outsource? What do I need to reshape, et cetera, in order to hit, in order to have a, a better outcome within the given cookbook that you, you have? Right? Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we just, yeah. we just said at the beginning, right, I, my average deal size was 60 and I was doing three transactions a quarter. So yeah. go and find somebody in the company who does more than three transactions a quarter yeah. uh, and look at what they do. Yeah. Go and find somebody else who does bigger deals and find out what do they do. Yeah. yeah. So if, what we're talking about here is, is, is the mid-ground. So the end ground of your cookbook, obviously, is the number you're delivering. The mid-ground is those activities and how you shape them. It's what we're mm. talking about right now. And I'm wondering, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about more upstream. Go right up to what are the behaviors that we need to do in order to have those conversations for example, it might be a basket of things. I don't know if this is outreach's business in terms of managing the, the cadence of your calls, your, your emails, uh, referrals, asking for referrals rather than just waiting for them to come in, for example, maybe something that we could do differently. I'm, I'm also becoming a huge fan of looking, it's, it's, it's like this attention economy where people's attention, the people whose attention we need, the eyeballs, does change over time. There was was a time not too long ago you might be able to catch somebody at their desk. That's harder to do now. Mm. Uh, a lot more of it is in their phone, their, their their own personal phone, rather than going through an operator, for example. Mm. And a lot of it I'm seeing now is, and that numbers I actually had uh, a sales leader from Vidyard uh, on the podcast recently. And she was talking to me about the numbers in terms of how video prospecting can increase significantly the, the attention that the messaging gets. Now, the messaging has to be good. It's a different conversation. 
but just in terms of catching somebody's attention. If it's, and I, I think it's something worth exploring to look at. What is everybody else doing mm. in terms of their outreach, the activities, and saying, okay, what do I need to do so that it's it's not the same? It's, I'm not part of the noise that is created, and that I I find a way that I can. Maybe that's maybe that's the phone. If if you're if you're really good with the phone, then you're going to automatically be better than 99 percent of everybody else. Maybe you're really, really good at crafting. Your your copywriting is good, and you're really good at crafting a, a message. Uh, I know, talking to one of the leaders in the SDR Nation, I asked him, you know, what what's the thing that everybody should be taught in school? And he said, copywriting, <laughs> because that's such nowadays it's such an important skill set when so much of that early communication is is via email, two or three lines that gets attention, or perhaps it's video, where you. Uh, can master that communications channel in a way that catches people's attention. I think we can also work there in a way that gives us that extra 10%. I think 10% gain there as it leads into the mid-ground yeah. actually leverages you up. It, it ratchets you up even more. It gives you huge leverage. It does. It does. It, yeah, those 1% improvements a week. Uh, yeah. lead to you know, lead to great outcomes and I'm going to be uh, very careful here to talk about tips and tactics that don't require technology right. because we've got a very broad audience yes and uh, there'll be a number of people listening to this who have a mobile phone and a day book and yeah. and some antiquated spreadsheet that yes. they get given to go to market and there'll be others who've got every tool <laughs> known to man and they just actually need to get better at using the tools mm. so um, you are uh, uh, two of the things you said. One was some people have got a natural aptitude to one channel versus the other, and um, a bit like decathletes, they're not great at every single one of the 10, 10 things. You know, Daly Thompson was always famous for literally walking around the 1500 meters, but he was so good at the other nine, he kind of still managed to get the gold medal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if you're absolutely amazing on the phone and you're not very good on email, probably want to lean in on the phone. <laughs> if, if you freeze up on the phone, uh, one, get better at it, but, you know, lean into other channels or, or do video, which is like a phone call, but you can, you can record it 15, 20 times until you got it to where you're happy with. Yeah. yeah. Um, some people who are really clever record a video that can be used for more than one person. Uh, as their first step and then personalize it once they've got a bit more engagement. Yeah. Mm. But uh, the first thing is, is know your conversion numbers. Mm. Yeah. Is So uh, we talked about at the beginning, a lot of salespeople will say, well, I do three deals and they're $60,000. That's what I need. And then they mm. just have this clump of, well, that's what I need. They haven't broken down the next level. How do mm. I get three opportunities? Right. How many initial meetings do you have to get three opportunities that not three opportunities at the top, three opportunities to get to mid funnel? Because uh, yeah. if I'm a leader, it's top of funnel. But I'm going to try and simplify this for reps. How many IMs initial meetings do you need to get three opportunities to middle of funnel? Mm. Because the reason I say that is lots of salespeople, if they want pipeline, will accept opportunities into their first stage and then they mark them at lost at second stage. And so very few get through to third. So rather than having overcomplicate it, 
say so mm. how many IMs, how many initial meetings to get to mid funnel three opportunities, for example. Mm. Now you know how many meetings you have to do. Mm. And you should panic if you're behind on the number of meetings. I literally used to kind of have a, you know, it was like, it's like, you know, here's the, here's the chaser for the year as it's going. And if I'm behind, I panicked. I wanted to be a long way ahead just in case I was ill or I wanted to go on holiday or something. I was always trying to be ahead. Mm. That's how many meetings I need. How, how many cold calls do I need to do to get a meeting? Mm. Lots of times. And then how, many, how much stuff do I need to do to get to a cold call? Now, I'll mm. give you some standard numbers. In the industry as a whole, without any form of technology or anything, it's around about 100 activities to get a meeting. Wow. Right? Now, so that's across multiple channels and all the rest of it. Mm. That's, that's the standard. It's not a good standard. Best in class is a lot less than that. Does that include marketing or is it pure sales? No, that's, uh, that's stuff that salespeople are doing. But 100, 100, yeah, 100 activities to get to that initial meeting. If so you think about it. An activity, I just want to be sure I know what a, an activity means for this. Could be a LinkedIn connection request, could be an email, could be a phone call, could be a voicemail. It could be, yeah, a, a, a ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it's around about 100 activities. If you think about it, um, you know, I'm probably prospecting five or six people in an organization before I go. And so that's, you know, 15 or 20 activities across each of those people. It, it, it's not a scary number when you start to think about the size of the buying committees. Right. Uh, so now now I can start to work backwards up to this bigger number that says, right, this is how many activities I need to do to get to this number. Well, I might not have. This is what I was saying. If you don't have time to do those activities, you've got to delegate them, you've got to lead and get other people to do them for you. Or you've just got to commit, okay, I need to do this every day in between running my opportunities if I want my machine to work to get me to the number at the end of the year. Okay. Who owns that? Because I, I've often seen other organizations where they feels our sales as an AE might assume that it's the business development group's responsibility to feed them with all of, and to do all of those activities and just pass over opportunities. Yeah, so when I was thinking of getting to 500% of my number, uh, I tasked myself with what would I need to do to get to 200% on my own without anybody? Mm. What would I need to do to get another 100% of my number from marketing? What would I need to do to get 100% of my number from channels? And what would I need to do to get 100% of my number from business development? Mm. And then you start to think very differently. I, if I want to get 100% of my number from business development, I can't just sit back and expect them to generate great opportunities for me. I need to mm. go and spend time with them and tell them what great opportunities look like for me. Mm. You know, I, I used to really struggle early off having CFOs as my first meeting. I needed visionaries. So, mm. um, but there was a lot of playbooks when I was repping to go after the CFO. So I had to go and say to my business development people who are in Ireland, the Oracle Direct folks, mm. uh, right? I, I, I can't be talking with CFOs first. Second, 100%. We'll make a mint if we do that. We'll do really well. But get me into these other personas first. That's interesting. Yeah. 
the the interesting and I hadn't thought about it that way working with your your if you if you're fortunate enough to have that that resource, but to describe what 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 an opportunity looks like and who like yeah. the visionary. Think, think and that doesn't necessarily have a, a, a title. Yeah, you could have a CFO. It's unusual, but they could be the visionary, right? But it's interesting that it's not it's not a role. It's not a title. It's a, it's a it's an outlook. It's an orientation. Mm. Isn't it interesting when you? Uh, I, I was always taken aback when I watched these cooking programs like MasterChef and stuff, or was it Great British Menu where they brought the up and coming Michelin star chefs in? And you kind of just thought, uh, well, I did because I'm not a massively uh, expert in food and all the rest. Of it. I love it. Favorite food is food. Um, is um, I thought they could just cook anything with anything, and they couldn't. Actually, what sets them apart is the obsession about the supply chain and the ingredients and the growers you know the number of times these programs segue off to they go to these i i know this fisherman this is the person i've been using for 12 years and i even tell them where to fish for me and and so they kind of know the fisherman's job better than the fisherman and the farmer who's doing it they ask them to grow certain varieties of fruits and vegetables and and to lift them at this stage and not to water and there's a skill in telling a farmer how to farm when you're a chef, right? But if you want to be the top chef in the world, you need to work out how to do it. If you want to be the top salesperson in the world, you need to obsess about your supply chain and know how to grow and nurture the ingredients in a way that allows me to cook food that my customers obsess about. Yeah. I love that way of looking at it. I never, you're right, they'll go to a farm and they'll ask them about nutrients they have in their soil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's come up for air for a second. We talked about the fir- first one was about cleaning out the pipeline. Second one was knowing your number and then obsessing around how we, how we achieve that, what we have to do, how we shape that middle ground, how many initial, message, uh, initial meetings we need to have to get it to the middle of, of the funnel. Yeah. What comes next? Um, <laughs> you, you got me going on super. Uh, uh, what, what springs to mind is supersizing deals because we talked about this, the number of transactions mm. and some of the stuff that will help with the number of transactions is working with the farmers, with the fishermen and just getting better ingredients yeah, coming mm. in. Uh, what's the bit I own? The bit I own is, is how much value I can create that means that money is just not interesting to the buyer. The buyer's hooked on the outcomes that they're going for. And I know you and I are both philosophically in sync. You know, it's not their money, but it's their ass on the line, quote, unquote, Mr. Lanigan. Um, and, and I know you've told the story in the past of that training session that I ran many years ago, where we spent thousands going to another office rather than... You spent thousands of somebody else's money. Yeah, yeah going yeah. to another office rather than hundreds to go to a local hotel because I didn't have a budget for hotels. Yeah. But I could for this. Uh, you just find a way of doing stuff, yeah? yeah. So um, so a couple of the tactics there on supersizing deals, which I'm just noodling with a new starter on here because they've got a bit of a mental block around price. Mm. Yeah, And if the rep's got a block, then the prospect's definitely going to have one, yeah? Mm. So they don't have any problem creating value. The prospects they've got are like, they're hooked, but then it's just, wow, but this is like twice as much as their sales force license. 
Why, why would they ever pay twice as much for us as for Salesforce? I'm like, this is a you problem. It's not a prospect problem. So, so what do we do? For so one is, um, I, I'm personally sick and tired of watching people who don't put everything in the initial proposal. Yeah. So what I mean, right, when you buy a car, right, as you know, when you when you spec a car on a website, I, I would challenge anybody if it's a, a half decent car, you never spec up the basic car and see what it costs. You go through the list, you tick everything. Oh, I want adaptive cruise control. I want, oh, I want this. I want the heads up display. I want, I want the self closing doors. I want the power lifted boot. You literally tick everything. When you get to the end, you go, oh yeah, maybe that's a little bit too much. What, what do I want to take out? And you find yourself negotiating with yourself. Well, I, I kind of, I really like that now. I've, I've got that. And I want, but I'd, now, why don't we give our prospects the same problem? Top level support, every feature, option, and everything else as well. And when they balk at the price, you say, okay, what are we taking out then? Mm. And they're like, well, uh, uh, why don't we just take out the 24 by 7 support? I'm sure, you know, your users won't mind waiting till tomorrow. Well, I actually, yeah, they would if it's if it's gone down. All right, well, we have to keep that one in. And then, you know. But why don't we take out this capability that we know is going to increase, you know, your productivity by 20%? Well, no, we kind of want that one. So, so one is that naturally supersizes it. It's, mm. it's, it's far easier to start high and then, and then to get low. The second one for me, which I'm playing around with at the moment, is never, ever give a customer a price. Okay. You taught me this. You, uh, I only worked it out a year or so, and it wasn't me. It was actually one of my SDRs who's been working for like a month in sales and had no right to come up with this. Mm. I had them in a room and I said, uh, and I was talking about the old, uh, you know, the, 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 pr the procurement people learn and practice in front of the mirror. They, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. And then the, and they love the fact that they said, well, well, we can change the price. Yeah, the flinch. I said, how can we turn the flinch round? And uh, uh, that was their question to me. I said, well, can't we turn that round? I said, what do you mean? I said, well, just get them to say a price first. Mm. And I I, I don't get that. I was completely lost the plot with them. I said, and they said, no, no. I said, uh, why not? When you've talked to them about what it is that we do and you talk to the challenges, so just what would you be willing to pay for that, like per user per month? And, you know, he said, um, so we role played it and I came back with a silly number uh, and they immediately came back to me and they said, do you know what? That's less than a coffee a day. <laughs> and I went, I went, oh, yeah, I suppose it is, actually. All right. So so I went up slightly higher and I went, OK, all right. Well, I I, uh, I probably haven't done a very good job. Uh, that's 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 lower. Uh, that's probably the lowest I've had in the last six or seven weeks. Uh, uh, what 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 kind of stuff were you hoping to have? that would have you come back with a sensible price. I mean, they were a bit aggressive with me in the role play, but, but with a sensible price. Yeah. The whole notion of it suddenly woke me up. That's really cool. Yeah. And so now we've played around with it and, you know, we're kind of going through the process and, you know, early on in, just checking in at the moment, given everything that we've talked about, this, that, and something else, where's your head at and kind of what you'd be willing to invest per user per month on something like this. And uh, what about, even when somebody put a number that's way above our list, bless them, they still went, oh, that might be tough. 
Yeah. And they were like, well, you know, we, we might be able to do it. They flinched in the other direction. Super interesting. So supersize your deals. The two things we talked about there was one is have your customers say the price first. You might be presently surprised that they see more value in it than you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you want to be really good, just flinch whatever number they come up with. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's actually a, a really powerful story behind that. It was in the early days. I, I don't have all the details, but it was in the early days of the Concord where most, you know, it, 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 Concord was first class. There was nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever fly on Concorde? I, I, I never have. But. I never did. Uh, gutted. Yeah. All right. Um, but they, they had this survey. They, the, the price on Concorde was the same price for BA on their standard first class, whatever the standard uh, 747 was. And they did a survey of the passengers on the plane, handed out the survey. How much do you think you pay for this ticket? Because most people didn't have a clue what they paid. Uh, Good idea. And to a person, it was significantly higher than they'd actually been charged. Of course, you know what happened to the price then. (laughs) But yeah. And so I think there's, I don't think there is, there is, there's a lot of sense in what you're saying about people's perception of the number. Yeah. When you put the number on the table, you hand over control to them to do the what, mm. rather than saying that, that's as, as, as you're right, and you're right. <laughs> I, I, I love I love your term. You know, they, they don't have a right being that young in sales, but that that bodes well for them. I tell you, if they're thinking that way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They are turning out to be super. Yeah, they, 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 well, I just in sales you don't get salary bumps, you get commission bumps, and that's down to you. But like they'll do well. Yes, they will do. Yeah, probably end up working for them one day. Yeah, I love that. So supersizing your deals. Yeah, so supersizing is adding in every single module, every single product and having them take away. People Mm. don't like taking stuff off. Mm. They don't like taking stuff away and losing value. It's kind of like, it feels cheap. And then the second one is is get a price from them. And at worst, by the way, if it's low, uh, you then know, well, okay, I'm either going to carry on through this process with a lot of risk mm. or, or I just need to go and find some other people that can build the value up. Yeah. It's a great litmus test halfway through the race. You know, where are we at at the moment per user per month just based on what we've discovered? All right, okay. Mm. We've got a bit more work to do. Need to do a bit more discovery or we need to part company as friends. Yeah. No, yeah. I love it. I love it. Ask them, what, you know, what, what's your sense of, of, of this? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You can't go wrong with it. What's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. And then the second, the third thing is, which is the cop out, which is why this definitely is, you know, sales leaders are going to shoot me in a minute when I say this, but 43% of compensation plans are directly opposed on how they pay to the corporate objectives. It's frightening. Explain that one. Yeah. So what that means is I'm getting paid and incentivized to do stuff that isn't actually in the best interest of the company. Unbelievably. Yeah. So you could have comp plans where the company is desperately trying to increase the number of logos they've got, but they're paying people on total contract value. There's no logo component to it. So the other thing that, uh, you know, if you can't get to your number, uh, get to your bank balance. (laughs) It's a cop out for sales. So if my number's untenable, I've been given a quota that's unrealistic. Uh, and the business isn't lined up for it, uh, then before you, you know, uh, 
go off and find a company that's actually got a sensible approach to this kind of stuff. Just have a look at the comp plan and just work out whether I can game it. What can I do to maximize my earnings in here? And I'll tell you a story again from from a, a big company that I used to work at where they used to have discount tiers. And um, where I was at with a, with a particular company was um, they uh, only had, uh, let's say, half a million to spend, and they needed 400 users. Mm. And at 400 users, it was 650,000 was the proposition. Mm. I then worked out that, hang on a minute, if, if I add... 1500 licenses for this other product which is dirt cheap which they don't need to use into the proposition i'm now at 1500 users i can now go to a lot bigger discount and i can get it under for uh, you know five hundred thousand dollars i got it in for like 480 and in addition just because i'm a bit gnarly like that this other product had a spiff on it where we were getting accelerated commission if we sold it my, comp- my conversation with the CFO went like this. I'm going to sell you, you know, what you want and a ton of stuff you don't want, which you can just leave on a shelf, and it's going to bring you in 30 grand under budget. I'm basically playing the system internally. Mm-hmm. The commission I got on the deal was equivalent to doing about a $700,000 deal. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I, it yeah. beggars belief. For me, given given that there's lots of people working for companies that don't have these comp plans that are aligned, that salespeople don't work out, how do I get the money? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. Follow the money. Mm. Mm. Okay. And that, that could be a title in itself, follow the money. In terms of we're just breaking this down by one, two, three, four. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Um, what else? What else would you add to the list? I think we're on four now. I think, yeah, I, uh, I think we're probably about there. Unless there's anything that you can think of that we just... I tell you what I have just uh, thought about here, though, is as you go through the year, uh, there's there's no truer statement that says it takes twice as long to lose a deal than it does to win one. Uh, there, there is that. And the other thing I, I wanted you to touch on, sorry, it was around price. Yeah. And you and I, and I can't remember, you've used it a couple of times, but I'd love it to be in there again. It's about C, C reps worry about the price. B reps make the deal so that it's not about the price. And A reps, I can't remember the way it pans out, but it's, it's a yeah, really I so, yeah, C grade rep stops looking for value when they can justify the list price. A so B grade stops looking for value when the customer, they think the customer can justify the list price. An yeah. A grade rep stops looking for value when the customer doesn't care what the price is and a plus rep stops looking for value when the customer can tell everybody else in the company why they don't care what the price is got it yeah yeah that plays back into the that was the one about getting the customer to put the price yeah you can you can only sell the value you create ultimately yeah yeah and and the customer will tell you how much value you've created by what they're willing to spend uh, the the third tactic for me is we're going through the year. We've got a, a number of deals that seem to be slipping and waning. Mm. Um, I would advocate, given that they're just going to be a drain on time, uh, I've said this in, in more transactional businesses. 
if you know that uh, we win, let's say we've got a customer that says we win on a 60 day sales cycle, we typically mark things lost at 120 days. Mm. Uh, uh, 51 days or 52 days, you have a conversation with somebody senior in the business that says, look, good business for us. Customer, when, when we've done our job properly, uh, we enable customers to make an informed decision within 60 days. Mm. We're eight days away and it doesn't feel like we're going to make it. Mm. What I'd like to do to compensate you for the fact that we're probably going to be going through this for another couple of months, which isn't a good use of your time or my time, is uh, if you want to come back to me with what you would be willing to pay to do a transaction in the next eight days, I will commit to you to take it to my bosses to find out if we're willing to do it. Mm. And uh, unbelievably, 30 or 40% of the time, the number they give you isn't what you want, but you take it. Mm. And it's the only way you will win that deal with any kind of uh, predictability. And just take the transaction off the table, move and get on to the next one. And it protects your, it's, it's oftentimes a first line manager that needs to be driving this because mm. the reps will want to hold on to it because they still believe that they can get this person over the line for this inflated amount of money that they've got in their head because they probably wrote down on a post-it note somewhere how much it was worth to them in commission. And mm. that's what they've got attached to. Mm. Is that, is that being, just being realistic or is that destroying value that if you had waited into the next quarter, you could have closed at a higher price? Yeah, those are two words that have never crossed my mind before. If we if we if we let this roll out for longer, we can close it for a higher price. Mm -hmm. Show me a CFO anywhere who has an urgent problem that says, I'd like you to spend three months investigating the market, six months going through a sales cycle and six months deploying it. They yeah. want it fixed now. It's yeah. the people who are willing to pay a higher price don't take ages to make a decision. Yeah. So you're, but you're saying for those deals where you're going back and you're saying, give me a price that you're willing to pay. I'm, I'm worried that that plays into the hands of those savvy buyers who are, who are uh, now I, using I, your, your, your timelines against you. I didn't say that we would accept every offer. Okay. This is so, you know, give me a price that you'd be willing to pay. If it's acceptable, yeah. we could do business. Yeah. If it's not, we're going to part company as friends. Yeah, that's fair. But at least, at least I found out. Yeah. And then when we part company, I'm walking towards the door and I say, what, what should we have done that would have had a, a reasonable price and yeah. would have shortened this sales cycle? So it's almost like that. It, look, now that it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Got it. Got it. I always yeah. love the Colombo. Yes. Now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the doorknob. Go ahead and uh, go yeah, that actually brings us, Tom, nicely full circle because we started out talking about cleaning out the pipeline to give you space. And now we're looking at, um, say, taking those deals in the pipeline that have been there longer than they should be in terms of our average cycle time. Yeah. And we're saying to those that are closable, we're going back and saying, OK, what, what would be acceptable? But to others, we're going back and saying, look, this has been here a long time. Sounds like maybe it isn't the priority that we assumed it was. Should we, you know, should we close the file? Yeah. And again, what we're doing is making space. So there's a nice yeah. kind of you know, back here. 
there's um so there's two things on it bear in mind if you don't do the give me a price if it's acceptable what are two other things that often happen the rep just closes it as lost and gives up on it mm. or they're told to close it off or they're grilled over it well mm. the other three don't generate any revenue yeah, so what we're trying to do is bring something to a conclusion. The other thing as well is, you know, in business, and, and I had this recently, I had an issue. I was looking to get it resolved and we were willing to spend money on it. And it took too long. And by the time we got to it, it hasn't gone away, but something else is more important. And so I'll come back to it at some point. And luckily the sales rep at the other end spoke to me and I said, look, I said, the, the train's left the station. You kind of, there was a window and I've now got other stuff on my plate. And, you know, they were like, well, you know, can I call you next month? I said, well, y you can. I said, but, um, and only because I'm nice. I'm like, th this comes around kind of towards the uh, beginning of our fiscal year, yeah. which means I'm looking at it in Q3, Q4. If you want to time your outreach to me, one is, Start educating me on new hypothesis and thinking around this subject in September, October. Don't mm. sell to me at that point. Just mm. note to my interest. And then ideally, if you've done a good job in that area, come November, we'll start talking about it. But whatever mm. you do, make sure you turn up in November and you're not booking meetings with me three weeks apart because there's a small window to get this done. And it was their fault. Mm. They, they slowballed the sales site, the sales process took ages to respond to that. And I was like, right, I'm done. I've gone. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, that seems like a great place to, to, to leave it. Um, some fantastic. I think we just take even half those and put them into practice. That it'll make a big difference in the year. But uh, they're, they're very practical. They're very implementable. Um, should be there already. But you know, you know the old expression, best time to plant a year. Tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Today, um, yeah. Well, the second best time. Let's, let's go and plant some trees. Yes, let's go plant some trees. Thank you again, as always, Tom. Pleasure.